In this episode, recorded on Thursday the 6th of April 2022, I'm joined by Senior Fellows of Peace, Security and Defence, Jamie Shea and Paul Taylor. This week, we also welcome our special guest, Gordana Chomic, Serbian Minister for Human and Minority Rights and Social Dialogue. She joins us ahead of Friends of Europe's very first meeting on women's economic empowerment in the Western Balkans, taking place in Tirana, Albania. We ask Ordana, how can we amplify the voices of women from the Western Balkans in building pathways for regional cooperation, resilience and inclusion? What needs to happen to empower women to take their place in shaping the future of the region? The conversation would not be complete without looking at the impact of the recent re-election of Serbia's president, Aleksandr Vucic, his ties to Russia and the impact of war in Ukraine on the Western Balkans. I'd like to start with you, Gordana, for this first question. What would you say is the impact of Russia's war in Ukraine on Western Balkans, both politically and economically? Uh, more or less same as uh, uh, throughout other societies in European Union or Central Asia or Asia. So if you look at uh, the, the mood of the people, uh, they are frightened. There is a higher level of uh, perspective on uncertainty in the future. They are very worried about uh, how the, 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 the energy will be spread around. Will, it, will there be enough energy? And they are quite uh, surprised with the rise of the prices for the different goods maybe a little a uh, little lower in our region than in in european union but uh, in our region there is among people something to add it's inevitable uh, uh, you know reminiscence on what has happened in this region 30 years ago so people uh, uh, watch the tragedy the atrocities, everything what is going on uh, with, with the feeling of uh, very clear pictures of how it happened here. So uh, it is in, in our region politically, it is quite clear that uh, there is no any doubt of uh, being against the war, being against killing, and there is a strong feeling in the region that there is a necessity for a dialogue, sooner the better. And among politicians, of course, uh, sometimes this goes along, you know, what politicians think, what the mood of politicians are and the people, but sometimes it, it differs. Uh, and uh, among politicians, you have um, very uh, serious leaders in the region uh, who, who are uh, devoted to the, to the competencies they were given by elections. And they have a long list of worries how to keep society safe how to uh, not to uh, get in addition to manage their fears, not to be populist, but do what is right thing to do and uh, uh, boost all of voices that are asking for dialogue, for ceasefires, for uh, negotiations, for everything that will end the tragedy of war uh, in Ukraine. And uh, you can see through elections or to public debate, how it, it, uh, it mixes how it, it's sometimes it goes uh, more to the populist politicians throughout the region in all six uh, countries and uh, how uh, throughout uh, responsibility and accountability that elected people like in Serbia uh, uh, do is uh, saying, yes, I know how you feel. I know what you think. I know what the reality is. And there is a reality bite 
for all of us in saying clearly that Serbia is against the war, um, we are voting against the war, but also uh, against the, the, the sanctions that would be imposed uh, to, to Russia from uh, different reasons. And uh, that is uh, maybe not clear picture to you all in all, but I try to, to, to give it context, uh, not just from my personal perspective, because if I would give you an answer from personal perspective, I am a feminist, anti-war, a, a dialogue lunatic. And uh, if anything I could do to start the dialogue among women in Ukraine and Russia, among whoever, I would do so. Uh, so it's not my personal perspective, it's, it's what I'm trying to see as objective as I can. And uh, nevertheless, my sentence stays. Sooner the, 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 the bombs uh, stops and the, the sooner the, the dialogue begins that everything uh, could start to get better. Um, obviously, we, we can't have you on without talking about the recent uh, elections that you've had um, in Serbia and, of course, the uh, elections recently um, in Hungary with uh, Viktor Orban being uh, re-elected as well. Um, do you think, uh, do you expect that Serbia um, will still be supportive of Russia despite the war? Uh, Serbia is uh, a kind of a society uh, that I love very much. And uh, uh, whatever I was asking for anyone international is give the benefit of the doubt for Serbia because we have changed irreversibly. And uh, we have changed uh, in, in a clear vision and idea of us being a member of European Union. Uh, also, electorate in Serbia uh, is something what should be given a, a benefit of the doubt. And uh, that is uh, the same I asked for president of Serbia who won uh, really with almost 60% as well as uh, Mr. Orban in Hungary after 10 years uh, in, in governing in different position with the party being in governing. You can criticize, you can have a lot of object objections, but if you put yourself, okay, I will give them benefit of the doubt. Maybe, maybe they mean business. Maybe they know that uh, getting to European Union as a member is a very bumpy road for Serbia if you want to keep it stable, if you, if you can, uh, want to keep it in, in peace with, uh, with, uh, with the countries in the region, if you want to show regional uh, cooperation and regional stability, if you want to um, be sincere in normalization between Belgrade and Pristina, if you want to really work on rule of law. And this is what we are doing. Uh, I know that uh, uh, perception is uh, not likely, and I know how it's easy to say, oh, no, that's Serbia, that's business as usual. No, we are not. And um, whatever uh, people who with perception that Serbia is business as usual and goes along with Russia and uh, not devoted to democracy and doesn't know what human rights are, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, doesn't know to live with minority rights. I'll give you two facts uh, to explain what do we support rule of law and European Union as peace project uh, revisited and, and unplugged as, as it once upon a time used to be. There is a social dialogue between Albanian minority and my ministry on their request. And we are implementing what was the agreement between government of Serbia and Albanian minority back in 2013 and 14 about their rights being alive. And when you do, easily proven what you are saying that it will be done, then people start to 
put the trust in the process. As well as for the last elections, there is a, a first time uh, um, alone, not of the other least, but the minority least, a representative of a Croatian community represented with the, with the MP in, in National Assembly, which is something what we owe to Croatia and we owe to what we want to develop as as uh, relations with with the uh, uh, two countries on on true cooperation, the minorities, crowds living in Serbia and Serbs uh, still living in Croatia. As for Viktor Orban, it's not such a different thing. And I know that uh, president of Serbia uh, is often criticized uh, sometimes with good reason, but most of the time when I hear uh, analysts is uh, that the criticism goes from perception that uh, he will not. Uh, do the work. Uh, he will. And both of them, I can share that with you from my personal capacity, both of those leaders have something what very few leaders among Europe, uh, European leaders or worldwide have. It's they know how to make balance between their task and their mission. It's not an easy job for a leader, but both of them, they are doing it. And both of them know how to communicate with their electorate uh, honestly, and uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, with open space uh, to 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 make mistakes, to apologize, and to move on. So uh, this is something. What is my picture? Uh, you can take it with reserve because I am one of those politicians who live by Shakespeare's line: "Speak the truth and shame the devil." It's not uh, very often well received, but that's why. Thank you so much. I want to ask you then, um, what could, what more could the European Union do uh, to, you know, to support Serbia, um, and you know, to to help Serbia maybe move away from from Putin um, and onto the European side even more. We moved away. We moved away uh, quite uh, uh, strongly, and uh, there is no way back to move anywhere else. And uh, when, when I uh, spoke with my European friends a year ago, I, I had a suggestion. I still think it's a good one, but you know, um, when you have an idea and uh, it doesn't work, then it's the only you who sticks with the idea. Uh, my, proposal, uh, my proposal back uh, a year ago was for European Union, give visa-free regime to Kosovo, start negotiations with Albania and North Macedonia, and give candidate status to, uh, to Bosnia and Herzegovina and leave Montenegro and Serbia to do their homework. Because there's a lot of things that both of these countries who are negotiating, who are in accession process, should accomplish provably, easy provably, to really uh, uh, go forward. Uh, why it was rejected? Uh, unfortunately, because uh, the, the leaders in European Union uh, also take care about their electorate. And what the funny question for me is, why enlargement is started to be so unpopular in European Union? The whole point of European Union as an idea is enlargement from five countries to nine countries to 12 countries to 12 countries at so far so. Uh, and this is, this is something what I will continue to, to try to put in argument with my European friends because this region, is the only clear foreign uh, policy success of European Union. Uh, 
There would be no peace here without European Union. There would be no rule of law without European Union. There would be no reconciliation. However, I personally can criticize the level of what we are doing together. There would be no uh, stability. There would be no obviously help in, uh, in, in economy, in, in everything, what European Union invested in Western Balkans. And all of a sudden, on the other hand, you have a mood in European electorate, no, 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 not those Balkans, no, 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 they're trouble guys, we, we don't need them. So this is something what I think that European should bravely and, and boldly uh, go in the, on the next step, uh, not because of Russia, not because of war in Ukraine, but because it is the right thing to do. We mm -hmm. are Europe. Okay, thank you. We'll come back to the uh, EU enlargement process in the Western Balkans in a moment um, when we speak to Paul, but I want to bring Jamie in for the moment. Um, Jamie, how do you think the war in Ukraine will affect the strategic contest for influence in the Western Balkans between West, Russia, China and Turkey? Um, we know, for instance, that China is also eyeing the Western Balkans for its strategic trade routes, but is that a good thing? What uh, can you tell us? Well, to, to be uh, frank, Tracy, as you know, uh, that strategic competition has been going on for at least the last uh, two decades uh, in the uh, Western Balkans. Uh, Russia, for example, uh, is a very strong partner of uh, Serbia. Uh, indeed, uh, there are nearly 900 uh, Russian-owned companies operating in, in Serbia today. And I understand that 300 companies, Russian companies, have set themselves up in Serbia just in recent days, uh, mainly in the high-tech services sector, uh, which may be a way, of course, of uh, getting around, uh, for the Russian perspective, uh, the uh, sanctions Russia supplies Serbia with a, a large number of, of weapons. So, uh, and China is a big investor as well, also having set up uh, uh, with its companies, uh, for example, Huawei, uh, a research center uh, in, in Serbia. So I think those links have been established for uh, some time uh, already, at least as far as Serbia is concerned. Turkey, of course, uh, uh, coming out of the old wars in the Balkans, years back has, unsurprisingly, a lot of influence in places which used to be part of the Ottoman Empire, and particularly among the various Muslim communities. Uh, President Erdogan, a few years ago, uh, giving an electoral rally in Sarajevo in Bosnia, uh, declared that it was a, a, a Turkish city. So I think the EU has woken up to the fact, you know, just building on what Gordana uh, said a moment ago, that it's no longer has a kind of a monopoly of hearts in the Balkans. It can't simply assume that everybody is going to come westwards uh, at the speed that Brussels wants to go. Uh, and I think the, you know, the recent turnaround with a more proactive EU uh, approach to enlargement uh, and the fact that you know, now many EU countries like Germany have recently nominated special envoys uh, uh, for the, uh, the Balkans. The US with Gabriel Escobar, special envoy, has also stepped up significantly its engagement. There is a sort of sense, if I can use the phrase, that the empire has to strike back, uh, that we're now in a much more contested zone. Um, and, and therefore, you know, the West uh, has got to actively promote its, its values and be much more involved, uh, for example, in talks between Kosovo uh, and uh, uh, Serbia uh, on uh, the status of Kosovo and the future relationship. Uh, there's been a lot more interventionism, political, I mean, not military, uh, in Bosnia recently, because Bosnia is in a very 
very bad state uh, in, in, indeed. There's been a lot more emphasis on the fight against uh, corruption and a lot more emphasis on the civil society programs that uh, Gugana uh, was referring to. So we'll see how all of that works out. Uh, but obviously I would uh, just add two things. Number one, the leaders in the region ultimately have to choose what side they're on. Uh, it's difficult, uh, of course, to be frank, as the split between liberal democracies and authoritarian states like China and Russia becomes deeper. It's difficult to straddle the divide and have your cake and eat it too indefinitely. And I think it's going to be interesting now that President Vukic has uh, uh, won a new term in power, albeit his political party uh, with uh, a reduced number of seats and the need to form coalitions. I think it's going to be interesting to see if Vukic now, you know, now that he's won the election, turns a little bit away from the nationalist camp and strides more forthrightly uh, towards the uh, EU. Montenegro is also an interesting country, Tracy, where although it's a NATO member and also an EU candidate, there's clearly still quite a large divide between those political parties that look west and those that look east. So it's a fairly fluid and dynamic situation. Uh, and although the Ukraine conflict, of course, is monopolizing all of the attention, uh, and although fortunately there are no Russian forces massed in the Balkans ready to invade a NATO member state or a candidate member state. Um, Russia is very active in what people call hybrid warfare, disinformation influence campaigns, etc. Um, uh, and uh, therefore, uh, uh, despite the Ukraine conflict, it's very important that we don't forget the Western Balkans. I agree with Gordana, it is uh, a relative success story, although very much unfinished business. Uh, and certainly uh, the EU still has levers there, which frankly, it probably doesn't have today in many other parts of the world. So yes, absolutely, let's use them. I mean, would you say, does it really matter if Serbia expresses sympathy with Russia? What can Belgrade do, for instance, to help Moscow in practice? Well, uh, obviously, uh, by not imposing sanctions, I mentioned those 300 Russian companies that have set up in Belgrade in recent days. I'm not trying to make out that this is going to be some big uh, uh, circumvention of sanctions, which is going to refloat uh, the Russian economy. Clearly, no. I mean, the relationship with uh, China uh, for Moscow in terms of arms and economic support is much more significant uh, at, the, uh, at the moment. But I think it also shows that you know, Russia, the Russian, if you like, challenge the competition with Russia, which has been so much focused recently on Ukraine, on Georgia, or on the EU's neighbourhood to the east, you know, thinking of the Caucasus, thinking of Central Asia, uh, that that competition is also in what you might call the soft underbelly of Europe, uh, the Balkans, and of course the Middle East, where Russia is firmly implanted in Syria, and along the littoral of the uh, North African coast, all the way uh, to the uh, Sahel uh, as, as well. And what it means is that Russia uh, doesn't does not clearly, as I said, pose a military threat, but it can stir things up. Uh, for example, Russia, uh, according to uh, many uh, people, uh, was behind a, a failed coup uh, in Montenegro a few years back uh, on the eve of that country uh, joining uh, uh, NATO. And indeed, the Montenegrins have prosecuted some people uh, associated with that. Uh, we've known in recent elections in North Macedonia that Russia clearly was involved with the usual sort of, you know, computer hacking and influencer campaigns and, and, and so and so on and so forth. And I think for, uh, for as far as the West is concerned, probably the most worrying uh, relationship is between Russia, particularly the Orthodox Church and various Russian groups, uh, with uh, Milorad Dodic, uh, the leader of the uh, Republic 
Kosciuszka, uh, the Serb entity in Bosnia, and this uh, backing from Russia in money, in weapons, in political support, has certainly encouraged Dodic to start sort of unraveling the Dayton peace agreement, which holds Bosnia together since 1995, by wanting to set up his own paramilitary force, by wanting to set up his own courts and judges, by uh, pulling away from uh, Sarajevo. Uh, and of course, uh, I'm not saying that's going to reignite the war in Bosnia tomorrow, but it's certainly paralyzing that country uh, and really preventing it from moving forward either towards NATO or, or the EU. So it's a different form of Russian leverage, uh, but certainly the people in the Balkans that I talk to take it very seriously. Uh, and the Prime Minister of Kosovo, Albin Kurti, gave a speech just yesterday in which he warned her very forthrightly uh, about the way that Russia uses influence and called on more assistance from NATO and the EU uh, to counter that. Okay, uh, thank you, Jamie, for that very full answer. Um, I'd like to move to Paul now for more in-depth discussion on EU enlargement. Um, could you tell us why you think the process in the Western Balkans is stalled? And do you think that war in Ukraine may accelerate um, the enlargement process? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I think Gordana nailed it when she said that all politics is local, you know. Um, uh, it's very much a matter of European, Western European uh, domestic politics that has been uh, uh, most recently holding up the enlargement process, but it's always local politics somewhere. Before that, it was domestic politics in Bulgaria uh, and an attempt to play the nationalist card against North Macedonia. There's always somebody who has an objection. I think fundamentally, uh, there is an enlargement fatigue uh, in many countries of Western Europe um, uh, because um, of disappointment uh, with the way things have turned out with Poland and Hungary on the uh, issues of, of, of importance such as the rule of law, um, uh, LGTB rights, uh, uh, migration, uh, where basically there's a sense that they have not uh, adopted the spirit and in some cases also not the letter uh, of uh, European law. And um, therefore, that has sort of, in a way, given enlargement a bad name. Um, and then there are, you know, uh, the fact that, that as far back as the 2005 referendum on uh, the European Constitution, uh, there were majorities in France and in the Netherlands against uh, that treaty um, that were mainly about the concerns over um, uh, migration from Central and Eastern Europe, uh, about uh, jobs being taken, about uh, social standards being undercut, and um, about uh, a loss of identity and of influence of their countries within the EU, if we're being honest. Um, the thing I would add to that is that there's always an election somewhere. And um, so perhaps now we have an opportunity uh, to move forward on the enlargement process precisely because uh, in a few weeks time, the election in France will be over. The election, we have now a, a stable government in the Netherlands that is somewhat more, well, it was considerably more pro-European than its predecessor. Uh, we've also had the elections in Serbia and in Hungary. Um, so it's possible also with the impact of the war in Ukraine, which has, I think, um, concentrated minds on this ge geopolitical contest uh, for influence uh, throughout that, uh, that belt, which runs between the European Union and Russia, um, as to, you know, there, there's some sense that 
um, either we do more for to 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 bring them to, uh, into our sphere of influence, or they will uh, increasingly drift away to the Russian sphere of influence. So I think that that possibly offers um, uh, better opportunities for uh, the enlargement process, but the enlargement process is by its nature frustratingly slow. And there, there are also, of course, setbacks. Um, Gordana did mention some of the issues where um, Serbia has um, you know, not, not um, satisfied um, uh, European requirements. Jamie mentioned some others, but particularly I think there's the concern about Bosnia and the concern that the Bosnian Serbs are being encouraged uh, from Moscow and Belgrade uh, to break away and to uh, create structures that are that, that, that would undermine uh, the, the the Bosnian state. So that, those, those things are there, but I think that uh, for a lot of geopolitical reasons, it's possible now to move forward. And I do notice that the French EU presidency has included uh, a conference on the future of the Western Balkans uh, on its calendar. Um, it comes after the French presidential election. So possibly we can hope for a gesture of uh, uh, opening from the French on that matter. Now, you mentioned, of course, that the uh, pace of EU enlargement is slow and frustrating um, for many countries in, in the Western Balkans. Um, is there a prospect of an alternative uh, to full membership? I mean, could we look to a temporary format of cooperation to enhance economic and security stability? Well, I think there's, uh, there's at least more thinking about alternatives to full membership. Um, and whether those are, are, are ultimately successful or not um, depends very much also on the candidate countries as, whether, as to whether they are prepared to um, settle for something less or whether that would uh, be in their eyes uh, a, a just a disguised rejection. But I think that given the realism that European, that EU enlargement is such a slow moving process and therefore people want to have something to show to their own electorates because some, uh, um, Balkan politicians uh, have really mortgaged their own political future to get making progress with Europe and then been let down. I think of uh, uh, Mr. Zayef in, in North Macedonia as an example. Um, and then, you know, when the tide goes out, they're, they're, they, they appear to be swimming naked, as it were. So um, I, I think that the, the, the idea at least is, is going around about, is there some kind of interim uh, um, a status that could be imagined that brings these countries closer, that gives them access to the single market, to uh, visa-free travel, to some of the uh, benefits uh, uh, of um, uh, EU uh, membership without being full members and without the voting rights and so on. Uh, that's a big uh, um, political uh, uh, sacrifice that would be made for people who have been saying, no, we want to be full Europeans like like our neighbors, you know, like the former uh, 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 Yugoslav republics of Croatia and Slovenia already have. So imagine trying to sell that in the Western Balkans. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, is it better than nothing? Is it better than the current status? And could it be, you know, could one imagine an outer tier of, uh, of countries in the, in the EU's orbit that might include countries such as Ukraine, Georgia, uh, Moldova, and possibly Turkey and the UK. Um, there's some need to find some way of having a, a structured relationship with all of them. 
but whether any of them would want to sit in the same boat as the others, uncertain to me. Let me put that question to Gordana. I mean, do you think that there is a possibility for an interim status? Uh, you know, when I'm asked, why do I think that Serbia should be a full member of the European Union? My answer is as frank as I am, because we tried everything else and it didn't work. So uh, will it be actually a full membership? Uh, it is uh, up to the methodology that European Union give from time to time, you know, all the enlargement uh, back to, from the beginning to the 2013 with creation at the end, it happened in different contexts and with different methodology, but it happened. And what I see is that it, it, it really is only thing that really matters. Uh, are you changing yourself? according to what was proven to be good processes for any society. If you do, you are walking towards full membership of the European Union. Will there be a date? I don't know, but if you accomplish everything what you need as a reforming process in your own society, then you can choose the date together or not to choose the date at all. It's not the point. I know where we miss our chances. I'm, I, I was in one political party, Democratic Party for 30 years. I was erased from the party because of erasing. Um, and I was asked by president of Serbia and Madam Prime Minister, do you want to, to take charge to, to run this Ministry of Human Minority Rights and Social Dialogue? Because uh, all of those things are in, uh, in traces or used to be. In, in tissue of our society. I said, yes, I would, because I think that is the right thing to do. And because however it does not look like in the international community, this party is the only clear pro-European party. It is not something what I'm satisfied with, but you can't find any anywhere else a clear pro-European player uh, completely coping with reality. So what does it mean for the region? It means that we will continue as country, as state, to do what we promise that it will be done. It is normalization between Belgrade and Prishin, it is regional cooperation, it is also an ownership. And if you want to, to put an idea of interim states of what will happen when you do your job as, as a reforming force of society, then I, I can just make an aggression on ownership with Open Balkans initiative. And it was not very warmly welcomed. And that is European idea in its core on our own without moderator. But said, no, 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 you're doing it against it. No, we are not doing against anyone. It is all in favor of, you can't be member of European Union right now. Can you have European spirit from the fifties right now? If you can, you will be a member of European Union. Um, Serbia is uh, irreversibly on European path. And uh, I share that uh, fact, uh, and I can uh, spend a lot of your time proving it. But um, the perception of the people is now nah, nah, they hesitate. Uh, the perception is now damaging those who are making those perceptions and not us. We will be a stable partner 
to any methodology of European Union, and we will be uh, a kind of a stable partner for regional stability and peace and cooperation in the region. That's for sure. Will it be Serbia is a member of European Union? I, I will work for that because I want my grandchildren, I fortunately I don't yet have them and I long for them. I want them to be citizens of European Union because they deserve it to be. Thank you. Um, I'm going to stay with you, Gordana, for the next question. Um, as you know, uh, this is the final question. Uh, we're running out of time today, but I would like um, to put this to you. Um, Friends of Europe is meeting in Tirana tomorrow for the very first Women's Economic Empowerment Working Group. Um, and they're meeting to discuss uh, how we can include and amplify the voices of women in the Western Balkans um, in building pathways for regional cooperation, resilience and inclusion. And I want to ask you, um, what do you think needs to happen to empower women to take their place in shaping the future of the region? You have to fight for, for feministic ideas in politics. Uh, I'm a feminist uh, because that's the only right thing to be in the 21st century, for Christ's sake. And the feminism is all about changing the nature of power, from power over someone to power for something. And if you push by legislative uh, framework, by European uh, framework of values, by human women's rights, by cooperation. If you push uh, openness in the space to, to enable women to come into that space, whether it is politics or science or uh, economy or whatever, they will not just make an agenda for themselves. They will make a change in social agenda. And that is why this, this, this meeting in Tirana is so important. I'm so sorry that I couldn't be, couldn't be there. But this is something what I miss as a value in foreign policies, that feministic approach that can prevent a lot of tragic events that they are witnessing throughout the world of exercising power over someone. It not necessarily should be a war, it could be a war, it could be economic power, it could be whatever. We should use the power given by the people to us elected persons for something. And that for something is let's cooperate. Back in 2005, below any radar, uh, not knowing my president of the party at the time, um, we started dialogue with women from Pristina. Uh, we met in uh, almost a um, foreign country that was Montenegro. Uh, just to, to try to answer your question, can we do something to change a future of the next generation. Because if we don't do anything as women uh, who witness and participate the tragedy of the wars in, in our region, then we know how our children will live in the future, no surprises. But can we do something else? Can we say, for example, women in, in economy, in, uh, in pushing women in, in powerful uh, economical uh, or financial positions, or just to, to, to have them clear voice in what is the power for? It is for everyone to live a little better in a day, in a two. I know it sounds naive to you, but frankly, like Brett Butler in Gone with the Wind, I don't give a damn. This is the only thing that is worth to work for in politics. And that's why Serbia has done so much. Uh, just to end with the one sentence. On, on Saturday, I will go at the fourth meeting in a row that is uh, supported with our ministry, but also with GIZ and European Commission, where we gather uh, Roma women 
to empower them to take their place on the next elections for national councils. Those Roma women, we call it 100 Roma women for the future, is, is something what I think is actually the game changer in what we do to try to improve the, 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 the way that the Roma people in Serbia are living it, not just in Serbia, but in the region as a whole. So if you can do that with women, strong women, uh, women who knows everything, women experience like those girls meeting in, in Tirana, then we can maybe start the dialogue with the boys, okay, try some feministic approach. Maybe we can avoid a lot of tragedies, a lot of unnecessary suffering. And maybe that is also European spirit that we can make world better for tomorrow. Thank you, Gordana. I would very much like to continue our conversation, um, but uh, we've run out of time for today. Thank you to our senior fellows, Paul Taylor and Jamie Shea, and to our special guest, Gordana Chomic for joining me this week. And of course, thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to episode nine of this Frankly Speaking special, The War in Ukraine.